Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about how to discover and honor your highest self. I'm delighted to welcome special guest Rachel Astarte. Rachel is a licensed marriage and family therapist, transpersonal psychotherapist, life coach, speaker, host of the podcast Self Talk with Rachel Astarte, and the author of Celebrating Solitude, How to Develop and Honor Your Highest Self. You can reach Rachel at her website, rachelastartetherapy.com, and I'll include a link in the description. Welcome, Rachel. I'm so glad that you could join with me today. Thank you so much, Linda. I'm so happy to be here. I am delighted to be conversing with you, and you are so versatile. In addition to all of the things that I mentioned, you've also been a poet laureate, and you also work with humanitarianism through the arts, which I thought was fascinating. I love that we can use our talents and our passions to help do good. And I was particularly interested in your work in India with helping to get education for empowerment. Would you tell us a little bit about what you did there? Absolutely. So um, the the work that I did um, was with an NGO in, uh, in Udaipur, in the north of, of India. Um, and that was in 2007. I'd already been to India twice before because I'm madly in love with the country. So whenever I had any money together, I would say, hmm, I could go to a beach somewhere. I could go, you know, and I would always end up going to India. So, um, but I did actually in 2007, uh, through a now defunct organization, um, called Foundation for Sustainable Development, which was a, a wonderful group. They sent, professionals and volunteers to India um, and actually all over the world to do humanitarian work. And so in 2007, I went to Udaipur and I start, I worked with an NGO called Mahan Sevasanstan, which is um, this wonderful umbrella group that would just go into rural uh, northern India. There's a um, Kolyari was their, was their town that they, they would work in. And they did work with women and children in education, watershed projects. Um, one of the one of the areas I got very involved in was having indigenous plant healers um, teach and, and spread their knowledge because what was happening was the older plant healers who were growing these herbs and plants for healing were getting older and all the younger generation was kind of going off to university or leaving the country. And so there weren't a lot of people left to, to pass down the knowledge to, and that's, um, knowledge that I think is so important, um, that we don't want to lose is how do we work with, with what nature gives us, uh, to heal ourselves. So I was working in the capacity of, of a, um, documentary filmmaker. So I was writing a script for them so that they could record a documentary in order to get funding for their, for their NGO. How wonderful that you had an opportunity to be a piece of that. And I love the idea of passing down wisdom. And it's so important that these things be recorded, whether it's written down as a book, whether it's given audio or visually through these videos and documentaries or through a podcast or through some way that it is recorded. Because sometimes, you know, they they say, you know, that when the student is ready, the master will appear. And sometimes there's a, a not a good overlap in our timing where maybe that the master is ready to teach something, but the student isn't ready to hear. And when we have that recorded in some way, then 
that knowledge can go when the student no. is ready. Because we can't force anybody to do anything, right? That's a, that's a really beautiful point. That's a beautiful point. And all the more reason why it's so important, especially for Indigenous healers, to to have their, you know, what lessons we can share, uh, that we share them, especially when it comes to herbs. I remember walking through um, what looked like just a weedy field with this healer and there were no rows of plants or anything. And he would just stop and point up at a tree and say, well, that's for cough. And he pushed some, sh- some shrubs aside. He said, well, that's for diarrhea. And, you know, like, I, how would you know, except that if you live amongst these plants and you can recognize them, you know, this knowledge has to be passed, passed down. Um, so my job really was, and that was my pet project, but there were so many, vermicomposting, as I said, women and, and children's education. Um, and one of the biggest and most beautiful life-changing experiences I had was going to um, a school, young children, and being part of what they call the Balpanchia, which is the children's government. So the way that this worked was, was that the children would all sit together and vote on what they thought their school needed. And then that uh, vote would go on to the, the elders of the, of the area, whatever the, the group was of people, that would go on to the, the town or the city. And then you know whoever had the major budget, right, to get them what they needed. So these children had a voice that would be what was very honored and would be passed along up the chain to the people who made the decisions. And so I think that the day that I was there, they were voting on, uh, they needed some new balls for, for um, recess, but they also needed to have their, their outdoor toilets fixed because they were broken and they needed certain things like that, that they were, uh, they all sat very seriously. These children were about eight, nine, 10, you know, making these decisions that, that were taken so seriously. To me, that was very touching. And it was something that I, I thought I would love to see that in the West as well, or at least in America. Absolutely. How empowering to yes, feel like yeah. your voice matters and that someone is listening and cares. And when you talk about budget and you talk about outdoor toilets, we're talking probably a very limited budget. Yeah, and yet yeah. you can have the things that you need and having an outdoor toilet functioning, very important. And having a ball to be able to play and to be able to have joy and to be a kid, those things are very important. So how marvelous to be able to have both of those, the necessities and the joy. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Great. No, no. Just one more thing to say, which the most important part of that was, as you touched on it, but I think it's important to stress that children have a voice, you know, that that they know what they need and to have them taken seriously by their local and higher up governments prepares them and, and empowers them. I think that's the word you used and it's a really beautiful one. So that's, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> no, I think that's beautiful and very important. And I love that you brought up, they know what they need, because I think a lot of us maybe don't know what we need. We're kind of have so many extra fluffy things that distract our attention that we don't remember what it is that we need. And so that's beautiful that they had, they were grounded, they knew what they needed, and that their voice was heard. Absolutely beautiful. All right. One of the things that I love about what I read about you, and I've checked out your website, and I've checked out these things, that you believe that our problems are actually our blessings. 
So there are a lot of people right now who feel like there are a lot of problems in the world and they're concerned. So I would love if you could help us turn that around and see the positive that comes out of that. Yeah, absolutely. We're human beings. We have conflict in our lives. And we know this even in medicine. I, as a mother, it, there's this strange feeling um, that, you know, when our children are sick, we feel helpless. We feel that uh, there's something wrong. Maybe they're not going to get better. I don't know if anybody else has heard about this, but when I had my son um, and my friends who had small children, they say when they have a fever and they come out of the fever, some developmental progress occurs. Like they can speak more articulately or they can, you know, so the, the long and short of this is sometimes what looks like an illness or a problem becomes something that helps us to grow. And we have to go through this suffering in order to get there. So, so when I say our problems are blessings, what I really mean is if we take the, um, the negative feeling of, oh, I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm grieving right now and I wish I weren't, and what could I do to get rid of this feeling? If we lean into it, we can really begin to understand that our problems are there to remind us that something is out of alignment. That's all. Something's out of alignment in this beautiful system that we've been given and that, you know, where we come from, creation, source, God, whatever you want to call it, we are designed to succeed. We're designed to thrive. So when things aren't working, to, I, I just I liken it to the light on the dashboard of your car going off saying it's time to change the oil. You don't throw the car away and say the car is broken. You go to the mechanic and you have your oil changed. Well, or you go to a therapist and you have your oil changed when you have a problem um, because there's nothing wrong with you. There's something that you're going through that is there to teach you something about yourself so that you can get back into alignment. So when we stop putting so much pressure on the problems that we're having and identify, that's important, don't identify with our problems, but see them as guides to get us back online. It's a whole different ballgame. I love the idea of not uh, defining ourselves by our problems yeah. and, and not, um, what was the other word that you used where you, we just focus on it and we, 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 I am a victim or I am a whatever. And, and instead of changing that, now there was one thing that you said where you said, lean into it. When there's a problem, lean into it. Will you help me understand what, what that means and what that looks like? Yeah. Don't be afraid of what comes from you. Right? So if we, when we're feeling good, all we want to do is nestle up with that good feeling, right? We want to get really close to it. We want to hold on to it. We want to feel excellent all the time. Imagine if you did that when you were depressed. Imagine if you showed that same love to your depression or to your anxiety. If you turned and faced it. Part of the reason we have depression and anxiety is because some part of us is not being acknowledged that wants to be. So for anger, for, for depression, sometimes it's anger, repressed anger that we haven't been able to express and it turns inward and it makes us, uh, it shuts us down, right? And we feel like there's no hope. If we turn with love toward even our unpleasant feelings, that's what I mean by leaning in. What is it, depression, that you want to tell me? What are you not getting? How is, so this is the higher self coming in and saying, 
um, wait, wait a minute, something's offline. Why am I breathing so fast? Why am I feeling this overwhelm? Let me just stop everything and turn into my overwhelm and or my anxiety and say, what do you need right now? I don't know. I need a, a cup of tea. Okay, let's go get you a cup of tea. You know, let's sit down and talk. What's really going on? I just feel like I, the world is unpredictable. I don't know my place in it. I'm not even sure who I am. Okay, okay. Let's sit for a second and say, let me feel my feet. Let me take a breath. What do you need? Do you want to just talk about it? Like, seriously, like when we talk to ourselves that way with that love that we would give to a friend, what ends up happening is the negative emotions are seen. They recognize, because remember, they're in us. So when we start to feel connected to them, they don't feel like they have to be so hairy and angry and mean to us. They want our attention the way children want our attention. They are our children, all of our emotions. Interesting. Our children are like our emotions. So if somebody's crying, it's because they need something. There's a problem. So if I'm feeling bad, and what I'm gathering from this lean into it is becoming self-aware. Um, being compassionate with ourselves and asking some questions so that we can get that self-awareness. What can I learn from this? What do I need? So I love that. I love some practical ways of how to do that. And you also talk about solitude. In fact, that's part of the, the, the title of your book. Why is that important? Solitude is extremely important. This, the higher self that knows something's out of alignment and I need to gather my children to me and find out what's wrong, Right. We can't really be in touch truly with our highest self if we spend all of our energy out in the world, communicating with other people, um, trying to do what society expects of us, filling the roles that we're expected to play. In fact, a lot of my patients come in with that problem is, I don't know who I am. I know what they want me to be, but I don't know who I am. Mm. And so... Solitude is a wonderful way to get to know who you are. So I recommend a solitude practice, which can be two minutes, two hours a day, depending on your schedule. But all that really matters is that you're doing something that you love. Now, for some people, that could be meditation. For some people, that could be knitting. For some people, that could be just taking a nice bath without anybody talking to them. It definitely does not mean being on social media. It means... <laughs> it means Checking in with yourself, getting to know yourself the way that you would sit down with someone you just met and you're trying to be friends with. So the idea of ourself as our best friend is where is, is a really great, great way to look at it. So we want to spend time with our friend and solitude allows us to do that. Isn't that wonderful? I think if we could treat ourselves as a friend, that could be transformational in and of itself. Well, Because we have a tendency to be, most people, not everyone, our own worst critic. Mm -hmm. And when we have self-talk, and you mentioned self-talk before about, what do you need? I need a cup of tea. I need this. I need that. More often than not, our self-talk is, what is wrong with you? You are too fat. Your hair doesn't look good. You are this. You're not good enough. And we treat ourselves in a way that is so cruel. We wouldn't treat our friends that way. We wouldn't even treat a stranger that way. And yet right. that we do those things to ourselves. So turning that around and showing compassion and treating ourselves as a friend is so important. And that's another one of the things that you teach is that to really love someone and to really show concern and compassion for other people, we need to first love 
ourselves. Can you expound right. on that a little bit? Yeah. And, and, um, you know, people hear that a lot. You can't love anyone until you love yourself. The truth is, yes, you can love other people, even if you don't love yourself. The, the, by loving yourself, you love more authentically. That's different. We are all beings of love. Of course, we can love other people. But what we're not going to be able to do is love them openly. In other words, non-transactionally. So I can, I can love you, Linda, but if I don't love myself, then the love that I'm giving you is um, needy. I need your approval of me. Um, my love for you, I want something from that, right? I want you to love me back, right? If I love myself, I can love you. And there's no pressure on you to love me back because this is just my love coming out. You see the difference? So huge. Yeah. So um, something that is, is really important to, to note is loving yourself sounds like a really big leap for a lot of people to take, especially when they're dealing with what you were just talking about, which is the negative self-talk. Something that's really important for people to uh, think about, pay attention to is the voice in your head that's telling you you're too ugly, you're too fat, you're too stupid, you're not smart enough, blah, 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 blah. that's not you. That's not your voice. It's a great question to ask whose voice is that? Because you were not born thinking that about yourself. You were not born with those voices in your head. You were born with the divine in your head. You were born with, with purity in your head and the ability to move forward and expand the way your soul is meant to expand. Somewhere down the line, you were told that you were fat. What does fat even mean to a baby or a toddler? They don't know what that word means, right? Somebody had to teach you what that meant and teach you that it's bad and that you shouldn't be that thing. So when we hear this negative self-talk, we have to remember it's not you. It's not your highest self. So that's one of the first steps to getting to truly love yourself is to say, I was programmed like a computer and I need to redo that program because I'm here to be love. I'm here to express love. And I don't just mean this kind of love. I mean, you know, the little heart love. I mean, um, the creation, the soul creation, the way that we, the creation itself is love. You know what I mean? So when we start to look at ourselves as, um, as resources and vessels of love, then we really don't have time for all that negative self-talk and it helps us to love ourselves better. Oh, wouldn't that be lovely to be yeah. able to not have time for that? I would love to go just a little bit even more. The first step as you're describing to get rid of that negative self-talk is to recognize that it's not you. So let's wow. pick somebody. Let's say it's my mom or it's my whatever. So yes. how do we get to the next step and say, I, I don't want to hear that voice. I need to let it go. Do you have some oh, suggestions? Yeah, beautiful. First of all, um, there, there are many different ways to approach it that's different for each person, right? So you can, um, one thing that's really important to know is to recognize that you were programmed incorrectly um, and allow yourself to have whatever feelings come up about that. So you can be angry. You can, you can be sad. You can grieve. Um, you can be angry at, let's say it's mom, be angry at mom. Oh, but I love my mother. She did the best she could. She was young when she had me. She didn't know any better. She's, she's a volunteer. She loves animals. She gives me nice 
Christmas presents, whatever. That does, all of that can still be true and you can still be angry. So that's really important for people to understand is you can love. Remember, we are loving beings. We can love and be angry. I, I think um, that sometimes what I think about is I, I love the stories of Jesus and I love his teachings. I think about Matthew 21, 12, where that's Jesus overthrowing you know, the temple, throwing the tables over at the temple. He was a loving person who was pretty angry at that moment and was doing what he felt was right. Um, and so, so we can do that too. We can be angry at the people who programmed us while loving them at the same time. And that's really important to note. Um, is, so, so one of the things is to let your feelings come up about how many years I wasted telling myself I was stupid and fat. How many years? And it's not just sometimes the person, it's society, right? Uh, that expects, you know, I'm in my early 50s now. I'm looking all the time at what is a 50-year-old woman supposed to look like? How is she supposed to act? And I reject a lot of what I, I read in here, you know? Um, but it takes effort for me to do that. So we have to really work hard to say, I get to decide how I want to show up in this world. What was I here to do? You know, that's basically one of two of the ways to do it is to is to allow yourself to have the feelings, understand that you can be angry and love at the same time, and then start to redefine who you are based on what feels right to you. I love that. And that ties back into many of the things that we've been discussing where you talked about depression and the feelings that you have is that there's some part of you that hasn't been heard yes. and to allow yourself to hear that. And as we're hearing these voices, we think, well, I am hearing, I am hearing what these things are saying, but not really. We're not really. It's a little deeper level of what's really going on and to be able to recognize where that came from and then separating it from ourselves. I love that. And then being able to, allowing ourselves to feel our feelings. I am angry. I am um, frustrated. I am whatever the, the thing is. And then creating a new definition of self. And we talked before about how we need to define ourselves. We need an identity. And it's like, if we don't have an identity, we just sort of float around and we let people or society decide what we should be and what we, and when we are in that place, we don't feel fulfilled and really joyful. I mean, we can maybe please someone and, and I might feel happy a little bit that I made Rachel happy, I, I, you know, but right. it, it doesn't last and, it, and it, it requires that constant feedback. I loved when you talk about how when we love from ourself, from a place of I love me and I can give love freely without expecting anything in return. And that takes some strength and some confidence. And what a beautiful thing. And another one of the things that you teach that I love is that when we do self-improvement, it doesn't just help us. That's right. It helps other people and society. Would you mind explaining a little bit about that? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up because that's so important. A lot of people, when they read my book, Celebrating Solitude, they think this whole thing is about just isolating yourself and just doing your thing. And there's also a little bit of a backlash that's been out in, in the press recently about this individualistic society. And there is something to be concerned about in that area. We don't want to isolate. The whole reason that we do self-work is so that we can get our stuff sorted out so that we can function better in the world. 
right? So we're shining our brightest light, which in turn helps others to shine their brightest light. So if you've ever gone into a room where there's just some amazing person, you know, very powerful, looking like you go into a room and you can just kind of feel like the Dalai Lama's in the room or something, you know, you can feel the energy of somebody or even just a nice person. You're at a party and there's just someone whose energy just feels really good to you. That's a person who, you know, has done the work, has, has um, worked on themselves enough so that they, they don't need your approval. They don't need uh, you to pump up their ego or anything like that. They're centered. They're grounded. You know, for the most, nobody's 100% centered and grounded. You know, everybody's got their moments. So I don't mean to say we all need to be enlightened. But um, the more we work on ourselves, the easier it is to interact with other people. And, um, and it really does, you know, energy transmits. So it affects your partner, it affects your children, it affects your family, your friends, it affects the person at the grocery store who's checking out your groceries, you know, and that's what this is really about. The work that we do on ourselves doesn't stop there. The whole purpose is for us to be able to share our gifts and our light with the rest of the world. And I love the examples that you used because they don't sound overwhelming. Like, okay, now, once you've transformed yourself, now it's your job to transform the world and you've got to do (laughs) something huge and amazing. And it was, did you notice that when you walked into this room, you could feel that someone had that power, that joy that just radiated. So when you're thinking about what did they do while they were at the party, they were sitting there. Mm-hmm. maybe talking to someone, but it yeah. wasn't that they had to do any great thing. And our interactions with our family, with our friends, with the person at the grocery store, we affect people for good yeah. or for bad wherever we go. We have more power than we realize. There was a cute sign on this uh, dentist office, actually, and it said, every person who comes here brings us joy. Someone they come and someone they leave. And I thought, isn't that the truth? We <laughs> affect people for good or for ill. And I would love to be the kind of person that when I walk in, it brings and adds to the joy of that room and not the feeling of, man, I cannot wait till she leaves so we can all right. take a breath. So I love it. I love it that yeah. what we do matters. It really does. It really does. And, you know, those, um, the, uh, psychiatrist and author Irving Yalom uh, wrote his beautiful book about death, actually. But I love the metaphor that he uses about how we affect people. If you think uh, a drop of water in a pool, um, you just think it's a drop. Your little life is a drop. But that drop, when it hits the major body of water, ripples out and has an effect to, to many other people. So one little thing that you do can set off a chain of events in a positive or negative way, depending on how you are and how you wish to be in that moment. So that's why, so we, and you said it so correctly, we don't realize how powerful we are. And a lot of us don't want to know how powerful we are (laughs) because, but, but the truth is, you know, we all carry the divine spark of creation within us. And so how are we going to use that gift that we have? We're all connected, you know, that's, that's science as well. That's, that's physics, but, but what are we going to do with, uh, 
with the spark of soul that we have. That's why it's so important to understand that we are the hub of what comes, you know, uh, of, of our spiritual experience and, and human experience. We're the hub of that. So what are we going to do to make the world a better place just by being who we are? And isn't that empowering? But it's also, it requires more responsibility on my part. And that can be challenging. It's like, no, it's easier, Rachel, if I just say that it's, you know, I'm a, I'm a victim of happenstance and, and circumstance and, you know, it's everybody else's fault and I'm just this paper bag blown in the wind. And right. you're saying, no, actually, we have not only the power, but the responsibility to be in charge of ourselves. And I agree completely. Yeah. And I, and I've been there by the way. I mean, one of the reasons that I became a therapist in the first place was, you know, dealing with low grade depression for most of my adult life and figuring out what, what is it that's going on here? I know how hard it is when you're in a low place to think I am not a spark of the universe, Rachel, you're insane. You know, <laughs> like you said, I'm a paper black bag blowing in the wind. So many you know, bad things happen to me and that's just how it is. What we need to understand is as long as we are telling ourselves that narrative, as long as we're telling that story over and over again, that is what happens. We need to shift the narrative and say, things aren't going well for me right now, but every moment is new possibility. Every moment, we don't know what's going to happen five seconds from now. We're already in the future from when we started this podcast. We didn't know what was going to happen in the last half hour, right? No. But here we are in the future, you know, you and I. So think about it that way. We don't know what's going to happen and anything can shift um, if we want it to. So it really is a matter of saying, maybe I'm not 100% messed up. Maybe right now I feel like that, but this is a good time for me to go inside and ask the parts of me that are hurting what they need. I loved that. There are so many things that my mind is just sparking like, oh, I love that. And I love this. And I, that. <laughs> and I appreciate that you brought that up. And I think that it matters when people understand that we come from a place of experience. It's like, no, I'm not telling you this because I am this enlightened person who has always had everything easy. It is, I know that this is true from my experience. And I have also had that experience of coming from a place of intense darkness and depression and discouragement. And I just want to let people who are listening know that you don't have to stay there. And that is the message. You're not alone and you don't have to stay there. And also, I loved when you talked about that idea of kind of the message that we send out comes back to us. And I had a friend who taught me this saying that I love. And it is whatever message we send out into the universe, the universe responds, this is true. Here's some more evidence to support that. And it doesn't matter what message we send out. If, oh, my life stinks and there's nothing right and I can't do anything right, then we keep getting these messages. Oh, well, you messed up here and you messed up there and you're not good enough here. But if we turn that around and say, I am going to have a great day today. Good things are coming my way. Then we start to recognize those good things that are coming right. where we focus, we're able to see because we can't see everything. That's right. Yeah. And we see what we focus on, which is really cool. Now, is there anything else you want to make sure we cover before we close today? Well, I just want to say one thing about that beautiful statement you just made is um, even when you wake up in the morning and you say, yes, I'm going to have a beautiful day. 
That doesn't mean crappy things won't happen to you. But it, it, so we want to make that clear. It doesn't mean you're manifesting positivity. Things can still happen, but, but it's what you rightly said. It's what you focus on. So you, you might have overlooked something really beautiful that happened that day because you're too focused on what didn't go well. So it's really um, an important thing to, to focus on what, what is going well as well. You know, um, but yes. So, so thank you for making that point. Oh. That's all. I just want to add to your add to your thing add to, add to what you're saying. Thank you, Rachel. This has been a pleasure. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you, Linda. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Stanislav Grof. He said, "The only revolution that can work is the inner transformation of every human being." Today, I invite you to begin a journey of inner transformation. See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org for free ebooks, free audiobooks, and other free resources to help increase happiness, build confidence and self esteem, strengthen relationships, manage stress, and calm feelings of depression and anxiety. I also invite you to grab a copy of one of my books, like Crushed A Journey Through Depression, or Amazon bestseller You Got This An Action Plan to Calm Fear, Anxiety, Worry, and Stress. See you next time on Linda's Corner.